I went on a missions trip years ago to Siberia, and I took uh, one of our sons at the time. He was 15, and I specifically took him because he was complaining about the size of his bedroom. It was much smaller than that of his friends. And so I thought, well, I'll take him to Siberia. I'll cure you. You're complaining about your bedroom. And it really worked because he saw the conditions under which they were living. And while we were there, we went to several small churches. They're called house, Houses of Prayer. We went to one meeting in what was called the Cultural Center in this small village. And uh, the church group met there on Sundays. And everyone was dressed like you, only with more scarves, gloves, and the whole deal because there was no heat or electricity. It's just a shell of a building, and that's where they met. And I asked the pastor who spoke really good English, how long is the service? And, and he said, um, we, we go until our feet begin to freeze. He, he was dead serious. So we'll just use that as a guideline. <laughs> Today reminds me of that. When I start seeing you shake and vibrate and stuff like that, it's probably time to quit. <laughs> So um, uh, my oldest son and his wife have been married for eight or nine years or something like that. I lose track. And uh, her parents are members of this church and close friends of ours, my, my daughter-in-law. And I thank God for her. She's just so merciful to have said yes to my son. I never thought that would happen. Anyway, uh, uh, they adopted a little baby boy about a year ago, and he, he, he was a year uh, old, December 20th. Samuel, his name is cute, just a real cute little kid. And they're in the hospital right now on the verge of adopting a little girl in a hospital in northwest uh, Houston. In fact, I have my phone on vibrate uh, because it's getting pretty close. So let's hurry up, okay? No, I can't. Uh, so that's kind of an exciting. None of these things are according to our plan. Did you know that? Don't you think it's really good that your plans amount to Zippo? Don't even worry about it. There's no way you could have predicted your life situation today in the past. And that's really good. You are possessed by one who is a timeless being and has kind intentions towards you. And he works at all things uh, for the good. So anyway, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens a little later today. A little scary, a little uh, nerve-wracking and all the rest. And, and uh, uh, it's good to remember that God is on the throne and in control of, of, of all things. We're in Psalm 31, which talks about that. Psalm 31. I introduced it a few weeks ago when we last met together. I think next week, Brother Chuck will do Psalm 32, but I don't know for sure because... He's not accountable to anyone. He lives by no bounds. He does what he wants to do. It's just, uh, it's just the way it is. You need to pray for him. So anyway, that's exactly sure. Yeah, Frank. What? No, I did not hear a thing. With the flu? Do you know which one... Uh, Frank has just shared that he had heard the Schneiders were, were in the had went to the emergency room this morning, flew, and Frank did those. That's all he knows, right? Oh my goodness, I did not know. What'd you would say? Well, we don't know that. That's what Frank was saying. So why don't let's pray, Do you, Lord Jesus? Uh, we don't know details, just enough to petition you, and remember that. Uh, 
you know all things. You, you don't need to be informed of anything. You're high and lifted up, wonderful vantage point. You see all that befalls your children, and you have such kind intentions. Based upon all that, we make our appeal for the well-being of the Schneiders, who is afflicted specifically, who is affected indirectly. Oh, God, as great physician, we look to you for healing and for helps, even logistical things, doctors, nurses, timing, environments, good care, all these things we're not in control of, but you are. And, oh, God, would you use this for good? That's what you do. This, which isn't good, would you use it for good and for your glory? Thank you that the Schneiders are in your good hands. Please bring them through this in a good way. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll find out a little later today what's going on. Thanks, Frank. Um. A, Christ, a Christian is not promised immunity from trouble. Is that right? Yeah. A Christian is not promised immunity from trouble. You will see this in a glaring way in Psalm 31. And that's why I'm glad God put it in there. Um, it shows us real life from the perspective of real people. In the midst of real pain. It's David. Psalm 31. Uh, who wrote this by the way? How do you know he wrote it? Yeah it says it. Now listen. It says a psalm of David. And on that basis. You say. You believe he wrote it. Isn't that good? Do you know why you can say that? It's because God has birthed in you. Confidence. In this book. Called his word. The Bible. You're not better than those who detract from it. It's not, you're not more intelligent. Something in you has persuaded you on a deeper level than intellect that it's God's word. If you know what I'm talking about, you have now seen an evidence of salvation. That is an evidence of God in you because that does not come naturally. I track the conversation of intellects, uh, intellectuals with regard to the Bible, critics of the Bible who cannot bring themselves to accept it as being God's word. And I vacillate between anger and sadness. Sadness that they're too smart for their own good. And then I thank God that he has opened my eyes so as to see it to be God's word. Even beyond intellect. I don't want my confidence in the Bible to hinge on my IQ or understanding of it. I want my confidence in the Bible to hinge on something stronger than that. He birthing that kind of faith in me. Confidence in the Bible. That is an evidence, an evidence of regeneration, of salvation. I know David wrote this because it says so. I'm done now with that issue. It is a psalm of David. I mentioned to you it's musical. It's a song. It's poetry. They sang it. You say, good night, the lyrics aren't so hot. In some cases, they're not. Why did they put this to music? Why did they sing it? A lot of reasons. For one, it's a, it facilitates memorization. We could go around the room here and I could say, hey, sing your favorite song. I mean, songs stick with you. Songs stick with you. Psalms stick with you. So they sang it. David's in big trouble. Some self-imposed. 
But there are also factors that have nothing to do with his sin. It has to do with the sin of others. So in that sense, this is what he says, verse 1. In you, O Lord. <clears throat> really interesting. Makes no claim to his own virtue. Makes no promises of better behavior. He's glanced at his own situation. <clears throat> it isn't so good. Now he's gazing upon the character of God. He's glanced at his own. He falls short. Now he gazes upon God's. In you, O Lord, I've taken refuge. Folks, where are you going to run? And you know you're looking for a place to run in this day. Everyone in his or her own way is looking for a place to run. Everyone is unsettled. Things that used to um, give you assurance are no longer there. The uh, discussion about the fiscal cliff is a misnomer. It gives the impression that that issue is an event. It's not. It's an American lifestyle issue. Nothing's been done. Except politicians have made some cosmetic decision so that they can persuade the voting constituency that they're doing their jobs. They haven't done a doggone thing. We still owe $16 trillion in debt. And you think this fiscal cliff discussion has been contentious. Wait till you see the discussion about raising the debt ceiling another trillion dollars. <clears throat> My point is the American economy cannot be counted on. Isn't that good? Say goodbye to another idol. It's just an idol. Currency is just, dependence on it is just an idol. Isn't God good? To, to me, it looks like take it away from us. So the things we used to count on, <clears throat> a level of morality in this country, forget it. A level of safety in schools, movie theaters, <clears throat> forget it. I don't want to ruin your day. The day is ruined. <laughs> Might as well call it what it is. <clears throat> so here's my point. Where are you going to run? There's a show on TV called Doomsday Preppers. Have you watched it? Please do not follow my bad example. I watch this stuff, Doomsday Preppers. It's fascinating to me. It's people really, really diligently preparing for doom. The problem is everyone's got a different doom in mind. One's preparing for water doom, another's prepared for disease doom. In other words, everyone's doomed because no one can prepare successfully for all possible dooms. <laughs> so, you know, the point I mean, maybe not to that degree, but to one degree or another, everyone's looking. There's a whole movement to, for Texas to secede from the Union. You hear about this? I mean, people are looking for stuff. Where are you going to run to? In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. He's the refuge. There is no other. It's not geographic. It's not economic. It's not military. Run to Jesus. In you I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. Do you ever let this thought creep into your mind as a Christian? Boy, I've made quite an investment in following Jesus. I wonder if I'll get a good return on it. I go to church every Sunday. I could sleep in. I read this Bible I make contributions, I go on missions trips, I sing, in the, I do stuff. 
I say no to certain behaviors. I say yes to others based upon what I think would please this Jesus. I wonder if it's going to pay off. You ever wonder, boy, in the end, am I going to be ashamed of this? No, you won't. How do I know that? I don't know how I know that. But that I know it is still yet another evidence of regeneration. I know inside, even apart from reason, why do I say that? Well, I've not been to the future yet. I'm stuck in the present. So what I say about my assurance of the future is not based on personal experience. I haven't had any with the future yet, right? I'm like here. So are you. We haven't been to tomorrow yet. And when you get to tomorrow, it ain't tomorrow. It's today, if you get to tomorrow. I mean, that's my point. How do I know that the Christian, the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, will have no cause for shame in the end? I don't know how I know. Except it's another evidence of God's spirit in us that gives us assurance about the veracity of Scripture, that gives us assurance about the fact that he holds the future and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. If you're lacking those things, I don't want to ruin your day, but if you're lacking those things, your day is already ruined. I didn't ruin it for you. Therefore, you should question whether you're saved. Now, every time I say this, I get emails. You're already questioning it. I'm just smoking it out. If you're not seeing the evidences of salvation in your life, like, like I just mentioned too, a confidence in the Bible, a confidence in the God who holds the future. I didn't tell you to be ashamed about that. I'm just saying you get help. Because you may not be saved. You may just be coming to church. I don't want you to fall short. You don't want you to fall short. So, all right. In you I've taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Do you realize he didn't lay claim to his own? In your You know what you're going to see in Psalm 31 in the midst of David's pain? A parade of perfections, none of which are his. It's a parade of the perfections of God. Here's the first. Your righteousness. David didn't say, you know what? David didn't say, hey, I made a few mistakes. I slept with someone else's wife. That was a bad, (laughs) poor judgment. Then I had her husband killed. I made a mistake. But others do it. I do the best I can. I came from a dysfunctional family. Not as bad as my neighbor. All the stuff people do, say today. He didn't say that. He took a little look at his own unrighteousness. Confessed it. Repented of it. Then a long gaze at the righteousness of God. And the basis of his appeal has nothing to do with him. Has everything to do with the character of God. He saw his own character pretty deficient. He looked to the character of God. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save, for you are my rock and fortress. And now the next phrase. By the way, this is just review of what we already went through two weeks ago. <laughs> so that's why I'm going through it a little fast. But this phrase, oh, I wish you would memorize it. Um, part B of verse 3. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. This is key. For your name's sake. The basis of his confident appeal had to do with God's reputation, not his own. God, you put your name on me. 
for your namesake, you will not let me go. You ought to. I deserve to be cut off, but it will not happen. Why? For your namesake. Listen to me. You are a Christian, those who are, a Christ one. He put his name on you. For his namesake, he will lead you and guide you. That's the assurance. You see right there? So here you see more of the perfections of God. Your righteousness, your ownership. Good night. Your property. Do you know that? You are property. Owned. And you don't own you. Most people think they own themselves. I have a right. What? You know, your property. How do I know this? You done got bought. What was the price? Blood. Whose blood? The blood of the only one who's pleasing to God, the Father. His Son. You were bought with the blood of the pleasing one. And as a result, there's been a ransom paid for those of us who are displeasing ones. Having been bought with that price, God has quite an interest in me, quite an investment. He wants to get a return on his investment. David knew it. For your namesake, you will lead me and guide me. You're not going to be cut off if you're a Christian. This is good news. Salvation is sustained by the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's not possessed so as to be forfeited. It is sustained for your name's sake. You see, David's making no claim to his own virtue. It's the perfections, it's the perfections of God. Verse 4, you will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. You are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Whoa. Same words in Luke uttered by the Lord Jesus before he died. Into your hand. The Lord said, I commit my spirit. And then it says he breathed his last. He invoked, the Lord invoked this. Psalm 31 verse 5. By the way, if you're searching for how you should think about the Bible, what your perception of the Bible should be, why not accept Jesus's? He had a high view of scripture. He invoked it. He applied it. He obeyed it. He accorded to it the highest authority. And God said, and one time Jesus said, more than once he said, listen to this, it is written. That's even better than saying, and God said. It is written, validates the written word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. Stop playing around with the nature of the Bible. Why don't you just see how Jesus treated it? He invoked Psalm 31.5 from the cross. Both David, both the Lord Jesus. You know what it is? It's a declaration of confident trust. Jesus in his death. David in his life. Jesus is dying. I'm not worried. It's not the hands of the Romans or the Jews that are affecting this. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And David is about to live. He has to live. He's not dying just yet. I think living is harder than dying sometimes. Even in life, David said, I commit my spirit into your hands, you see. So that's what happens in verse 5. Verse 6, I hate those who regard vain idols. I trust in the Lord. Whoa. Verse 6, I mentioned briefly last time, tough one. Does that give us permission to hate? Yeah. And no. 
I don't have this all figured out. I'm working on it. I'll let you know when I get it figured out in heaven. Um, But at the least, David, at the least, I think we are permitted to hate who people have become. That's a little different than hating people. What do I mean, hate who people have become? Listen to me. We've been created in the image of God. Is that not true? That's not said of animals, trees, rocks, or anything like that. It's only said of humankind. Created in the image of God. What does that mean? Equipped with faculties to commune with him. What have we done with them? We've turned away from him. To vain idols. David hates that. He hates the loss of human potential. When you turn from the living God, use the faculties he gave to know him for other purposes. It's a grievous thing that ought to be hated. It's a hateful thing when we see the evil in the world today perpetrated by humans against humans. That is an indication that they've turned from the living God to worship vain idols. We ought to hate who people have become. We ought to hate the loss of human potential. So at least that much, I think, is permissible. Verse 7, I'll rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness. Once again, a parade of perfections, the perfect love of God. This word in Hebrew is chesed. It's a special love, word for love, chesed. It means loyal love. It's not romantic love or erotic love. Those are good things, I suppose, but not, not the best. You know, romantic love is usually dependent on the attractiveness of the object of one's love, right? That's why people are so insecure about getting old or getting wrinkles. You know, that's the whole deal for makeup, right? By the way, we're grateful for it, ladies. Thank you. I mean, because we sort of feel like, you know, uh, if you really saw me for who I is, you, you would cease to love me quite as much. Something to be said about that. Human love. That's not, no, no, this is chesed. This is reserved for God. This is loyal love. You know what loyal love is? Loyal love is sustained and persists, it persists in spite of the unlovability of its object. That's what David is saying about God's love. You love me with a loyal love, a chesed love, meaning not my sin. You don't love my sin. Nobody's justifying that. But in spite of it, you love me. In spite of my ugliness, my moral ugliness, which I've confessed and repented of, still you persist in loving me. Don't you see how David is rejoicing? Folks, that's called the gospel in the Old Testament. This is good news. I'll be glad, not in my, 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 my New Year's resolution, not in my, my commitment not to do this again, I, in my promises. No, 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 no. I will be glad in your loving kindness because you've seen my affliction and have known the troubles of my soul. Another attribute of God, his omniscience. David is saying, you are loving. And David is saying, you are all-knowing. Ooh, that's a little threatening that God is all-knowing. Listen to me. If we here knew everything about the people we're sitting next to, either that person or us would be gone. Someone wrote a book. I didn't read it because I don't read many books because I don't like them. But anyway, uh, I just don't. But anyway, uh, I watch Doomsday Preppers instead. (laughs) It's much more edifying. But... um, but there's this book, I think the title is something like this. 
why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Because I'm all I got. And if you reject me, I got nothing else. Something like that. That's not actually the title because that would be like a long title. But it's something like that. But that's not the case with God. David said, you know everything about me and yet still love me with a loyal love. Folks, I got to tell you, you can't get a better deal than that. You are known with intimacy and loved without condition. Are you kidding me? David, the adulterous murderer, is being lifted out of his malaise, his doldrums, by reflecting on the character of God. You see? Not his own character. Character of God. Verse 8, you've not given me over into hand of the enemy. In fact, you've set my feet in a large place. Remember, the Psalms are poetry. You know, there's different literary forms in the Bible. They call them genre. It's like a French word, a genre. It's a form of literature. The Psalms uh, are poetry. Some parts of the Bible are narrative. Some are called apocalyptic, like Revelation. Some are proverbs. Why do I say that? Because you have to interpret different forms of literature differently. So this is poetry, probably a metaphor, poetic expression. You put my feet in a large place. What does that mean? There's all kinds of stuff squeezing me, hurting me, limiting me, that person, these people, my own sin, blah, blah, blah. But, oh, God, you've put me into a large place without limitation. Oh, God, you're unlimited in your ability to make use of me and to be glorified through me. Oh, God, I'm not squeezed, limited. I'm not deprived. I'm not minimized. Oh, God, you've done this. You have put my feet in a large place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, verse 9. I'm in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief. My soul, my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity. My body is wasted away. Okay. We went over the first 10 verses last time. That was review. New stuff now, verse 11. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, kind of like Al. I was just thinking, Al, this is for you because of half of the Bluebell thing. Wow, this is right. Because of all my, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors. I can see this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Bible is applicable. An object of dread to my acquaintances. Oh, my goodness. Beware of Al bearing gifts. I'm trying to teach you the Bible. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I'm forgotten as a dead man out of mind, like a broken vessel. I've heard the slander of many terrors on every side while they took counsel together against me. They schemed to take away my life. David's in trouble. He has adversaries. Is this really true? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, is he being overly dramatic? Maybe. Why? Because there's emotion. Human emotion. You know, when emotion sets in, we become poor reality testers. Here's what I mean. If you're down, depressed, you think everyone doesn't like you. Everyone's out to get you. You're not right, but you can't help yourself. So your reality testing is not good because you're in emotional travail. I think David was. Why do I bring that up? I just love the authenticity of the Bible, which frees us up to be human. Human emotion. 
We're seeing the ebb and flow of human emotion in Psalm 31. He goes from, from crying to praising, from petitioning to, to praising, don't you? It's the way it is sometimes, the Christian life. Verse 15, my times are in your hand. This is another phrase I wish you would memorize. My times, your Bible might say my future. This is so good. Folks, you're not subject to accident. There's no such thing. You're not subject to the cruel winds of fate. There's no such thing. Nothing can befall you without the most high God who happens to be your father knowing of it and choosing to make use of it. You're not an independent agent floating around out there waiting for something horrific to befall you. Oh, no. David's God. Your God knows your times. He knows the day. He knows your today. He knows your tomorrow. He knows the hour. He knows the situation you're in. He knows all these things. And all these things are in his hand. Nothing calls the shot. There isn't accident. There isn't whimsy. There isn't chance. There isn't randomness. People of the day, philosophers would have you believe the world is just random. Stuff just happens. No, it doesn't. God is sovereign, seated on the throne. David, in the midst of all this stuff, is saying, my times are in your hand. Folks, it's important. It's important to know this. Yeah, but if God's so in control, why do I hurt? Why do bad things happen? (sighs) So people are commenting on the, the tragedy in Newtown, Connecticut. We're thinking about it, aren't we? People are saying, where was God? It's a potent question. But here's the better question to ask of those people saying, where is God? Which God do you have in mind? Because they do not have the God of the Bible in mind when they ask that question. I'll tell you why. The God of the Bible never promised that those things would not happen. He never promised that wouldn't happen. You know what he said? In the world, you will have tribulation. You know what he promised? Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing. You know what he said? Why are you so surprised when people hate you? Didn't they hate me? These are the promises of God. So when someone says, where is God? Uh, During times like that, I have to see what God you have in mind because the God I know, the God of the Bible, was right there. Don't you think it's the quintessence of hypocrisy to ask of God, the God who you have vacated from the schools, where are you? That doesn't make sense to me. You know what his answer would be? I'm put out. And though I could put myself in, I won't. I've given you free will. You have freely chosen to remove me from the equation of life. How's it going for you? Gesundheit. Boy, that was the most dainty sneeze. Michael, was that you? Michael, that was just... That was great. I mean, if it was Dan, Dan the Marine, it would be... You know, it would be... That was just... It was like a... That Was that like a, like a soprano... Michael will never sneeze again in this class. 
I don't care if I explode inside. I am not going to sneeze. God said, uh, things go better with me in your life. But if you want me out, okay. Welcome to the world. In its attempt to, to de-God God from the equation of life. Welcome to it. We can fix nothing. We can fix nothing economically, militarily, politically, racially. Nothing. We can personally, we can fix nothing. Nothing, nothing. We can fix nothing. Isn't God good not to let us think we can? Because he doesn't want us to settle for idols. If we reject the giver of life, there's nothing left in life to run to. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to lean on? David said, I trust in you. You are my God. This is important, folks. You know what David said? I thought for a second, I am my responsibility. I just reminded myself I'm not. I'm your responsibility. You are my God. David didn't say that to inform God. He said it to remind himself. David was saying, oh, my goodness, I got to deal with this. I got to get out of this. I got to fix this. I got to wait a second. You are my God. I have to throw myself upon you and wait. Waiting means trust. (laughs) I have to look to you. I'm not the God of my own destiny. I'm not on the throne. I can't do this. How dare I? Am I buying this worldly bill of goods? Believe in yourself? Are you kidding me? I'm not my God. You are my God. I don't believe in me. What I believe about me is that I'm a sinner and that I'm inclined to do the very things that I ought not do in thought, word, and deed. Oh, God, I don't want to be my God. You are my God. I don't want to be responsible for myself. I want you to take care of me. And he does. And he will. This whole notion, believe in yourself. How about this? You can be anything you want. What? Make your face to shine upon your servant. I think David perhaps borrowed that from what's called the priestly benediction of Numbers chapter 6, where God said, Moses, tell Aaron to bless the people this way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Maybe he's invoking that. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me, look, once again, in your loving kindness. You see it? It's a total uh, distraction from self-ishness to the attributes of God. (laughs) Save me in your, again, loyal love, your chesed love. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is your goodness. Another attribute of God. Don't you find it interesting that all these things are being uh, rehearsed even in the midst of David's travail. Again, the ebb and flow of the Christian life. I hurt and I cry out, but then I remember who you are and I praise you and I utter a petition and then I utter a praise and which is it? It's all of the above. (laughs) 
I complain and then I thank you. Which is it? It's all of the above. I just want to tell you, you're not mixed up if that's happening. (laughs) Because you have two things going on in you. You have thoughts, but you also have feelings. And they're both okay. They just, one affects the other. Well, you're going to, that's just the way it is. So. So David is talking about the goodness of God, which you've stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. Once again, the idea of refuge. And where is the place of refuge? Look at verse 20. You hide them in the secret place of your presence. Where are you going to run? What geographic area is a guarantee of your safety? Show me. What part of the world (laughs) is going to keep you safe and sound? God says you need to be safe and sound. You need a place to run to. Here it is. Me. It's not geographic. It's spiritual. Run to me. Non-material. If the place of refuge is material, it means it's bounded by space and time. You have to get there. You have to travel to it. But if the place of refuge is spiritual, not material, not bounded by space and time limitations, it, he, is there. Always. No matter what. God said, I can give you a second best. I can give you a fortress and all the rest. Or I can give you me. I can give you a strong tower or I could be your strong tower. Would you not rather have me as your strong tower? See that? You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. Is that a literal besieged city? Probably. In fact, as we study scripture and history, we think we could identify the city David had in mind when he was locked in it under siege. But David's besieged city is not the issue because his besieged, his place of siege is probably different than yours. The real point is, you have made marvelous your loving kindness to me even when under siege. That's the application to make from it. Your place of siege may be emotional, may be financial, may be marital, may be I don't know what, occupational, I don't know. But the point is it applies. You can access the loving kindness of God in your besieged city. Where are you going? Where are you going to run? Look no further. Jesus says, run to me. He saved us for sure from the penalty of sin, but he's also there to save us from the throes of life. Run to him. Run to him. As for me, verse 22, I said in my alarm, and I love the honesty of David, and I'm so glad God recorded this in the Bible. Another reason why I know the Bible is God's word is that it does not make us look very good. Usually people who fraudulently write pieces of literature overemphasize the virtue of humankind. Well, we're shown in the Bible that we stink to the high heavens. 
Therefore, I know it's not a fabrication. This is not going to be on anyone's bestseller list for crying out loud. It does not make us look very good at all. And even here we see David. Did you know he was a king of Israel? He's called a friend of God. David said, in my alarm, you know, I was, I was going through some stuff, emotional stuff and all the rest. I said, I'm cut off from before your eyes. You've done this, and now you know you're in good company for crying out loud. I know you've done it. I've done it. Everyone does it. Everyone who's a person does it. Even a Christian does it. There are things that come your way, and you cry out to God. Sometimes you actually are angry. Sometimes you say, God, I've had it. Enough is enough. Sometimes you say, how long? Oftentimes you say, why? You say, God, what's going on? What do I have to do? What is the deal? Is life just a cruel experiment uh, on your part to see how much pain I can take? You've done stuff like that. So, Sometimes we say, I hate you, God. Just like David, in my alarm, I said, I've cut off. You've forsaken me. See, it's the same deal. But then you get this grand nevertheless. See the nevertheless? The nevertheless is always something spoken on the other side of the catastrophe. In the midst of the catastrophe, that's alarm. That's when we cry out. That's when we complain. That's when we go through all kinds of emotional stuff. On the other side of it, we look back and see what God has done. Then we could say, nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. In the midst of it, David didn't have a sense of the presence of God. A lot of people say, I don't think God hears me. I don't feel him. I don't sense him. Well, good night. Are you? Of course not, because you're feeling all kinds of stuff. You feel depression. You feel worry. You feel guilt. I don't know what you feel, but you can't feel close to God because you're feeling all that other kind of stuff. When the feelings subside, you look back and you say, oh, my goodness, God, I didn't really mean it. And he says, I know. That's why you're still here talking. <laughs> he knows you didn't mean it. He knows you're upset. He knows you're human. He knows you're a child. He calls you a little child. He expects childlike behavior from little children. Little children scream out when they're hungry. They don't ask politely. Little kids scream out when they're tired, when they're cold, when their diaper needs to be changed. You're a little child. Isn't that good? Abba Father knows that's who you are. You're a little child. You don't threaten him. You don't repulse him. He loves you. He just knows. You're just a narcissistic, self-centered, demanding little brat. So you are. Just a little child. Sorry, Daddy. I didn't really mean to say I hate you. I don't really hate you. I know, son. I know, my daughter. I know you didn't. It would be good if you would learn from this and don't say that again. On the other hand, I understand. It's the language of emotion. Nevertheless... You heard the voice of my supplications. Now something happens. There has been praying in this psalm, loud praying. There has been praising in this psalm, and now you get preaching in this psalm. How does that happen? That's how it happens. You cry out to God, you're hurting. He comes through, and you praise him. And you are so thrilled by what he has done on your behalf, you start preaching to others. That's how it works. So now you get preaching in verse 23. Oh, love the Lord, all you, his godly ones. Look at them. David hasn't been thinking about anyone else, godly ones. He's dying. Oh, God, I'm going through all this. Help me. You have helped me. You are my rock. You, Based on your loving kindness, you have put me in a large place. You've helped me in a besieged city. You are my God for your sake. 
Oh God, I praise you for, for doing all this. And then, hey, by the way, by the way, let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about God. I, I went through all this. I know God is good. I didn't read it in some book. I is the book. God wrote his perfections on my heart. He came through for me when I was empty. When I was at my worst, he was at his best. And so then he starts preaching. And by the way, that's why God allows his people to go through some of the same stuff others go through in life. You, we can still lose a job. We can still lose a loved one. We can still get a disease. We can still, why, why, why? So in the pain, we discover that God can use it. He is for us. He has not abandoned us. He loved us. He's sympathetic. He has kind intentions. And then we tell the person in the next bed in the hospital what our source of hope is, who we have run to refuge for. And we start preaching. So David's preaching. The Lord preserves the faithful, fully recompenses the proud doer. In the closing verse, verse 24, be strong. Let your heart take courage. It's almost like you got to, you have to be like a cheerleader for your heart. Come on, heart. Be strong. Heart, heart, take courage. You know why you have to do that? You have to cheer for your heart. Because a lot of us punish our hearts with bad feelings. It's a form of punishment. Bad feelings. Why? Because we're bad. And we don't think Jesus has done enough to cover for our sin. We don't. So we beat ourselves up with depression, anxiety, guilt, shame. I'm not saying those are the, that's always the cause of those things, but it's an ingredient oftentimes. We won't permit ourselves the joy of our salvation. Why not? What are you doing there, Rita? It's okay, Rita, don't run. It's okay. The damage is done. It's all right. It's okay. Good. No, nobody heard it, seriously. No, it's very subtle. It's okay. By the way, how did you find it so quick in your bowling bag over there? That's all right. No, seriously, Rita. It wasn't disruptive at all. No, I love it. It was so discreet. Really good. Oh, nobody ever calls you, but not again, for sure. Yeah, good. That's Rita. She used to be my friend. <laughs> so here's the deal. David said, I, I, I had sex with another man's wife. Then I killed her husband. <sighs> That's some serious stuff. Heart, be strong. Heart, take courage. Heart, be hopeful. I'm not going to punish myself with guilt and shame because when once I became convicted of it, I called it what it is. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a bad decision. It's iniquity. I sinned. And there are consequences. But one is not that. I am separated from you. Be strong. Be courageous. Take courage. Continue on. Press on. Based on the perfections of God. Paraded gloriously in Psalm 31. Not David's perfections. Nope. Are none. God's perfections. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. All you hope in the Lord. What is hope? Trust. Confidence. Confidence about the future. God is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him, and we have no idea how that's going to work out. 
hope about the outcome of all things without knowing with specificity how things are going to work out. How do you get to that point? That too is an evidence of salvation. Something in us tells us, what's that expression? We, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Something like that. Is that a song or something like that? You know what I'm talking about? How do you get to that point? That's not willpower. That's God implanting his spirit in you so that even in the face of reason, all this is happening. I don't know what's going on. Somehow we know he's still seated on the throne. He's my God. I know him by name. He knows me by name. He is responsible for me. For his namesake, he will bring me forth. In the end, it will work out, and I will say, oh, God. I'll see him one day face to face, and I'll say, oh, God, I should have trusted you more. I'll say, oh, God, now I see why all this, oh, it all makes, we know this. Something in us, it's his spirit in us. Don't you see that's an evidence of salvation, hope in God that persists, though we don't know with precision even what tomorrow holds. Yet we know he holds tomorrow. That doesn't, that's not something, be strong. No, no, no. That is not natural to you. That is a supernatural deposit enabling you to make a deposit of your life in his hands. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Why? Because of the parade of perfections possessed by none other than almighty God who is your God if you have accepted him by faith. What are you going to do in 2013? Resolve. Resolve to run to Jesus. Losing weight is a good thing. Fine. A better resolution. Resolve to run to Jesus. A very present help in time of trouble. I don't want to ruin things, but I think there's more trouble ahead. What are you going to do? Run to Jesus in time of trouble. A very present help in time of trouble. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence, nearness, accessibility. Thank you for enveloping us in your arms. We'll tell you, your ways are not our ways, and we don't comprehend you. How could we? We're little kids. And yet you have uh, birthed in us a measure of trust in you. It has to grow, but it's there nonetheless. That, too, is an evidence of salvation. We trust you, though we've not seen you. We trust you more today than ever before, and we'd like to trust you more in 2013. Oh, God, as with David, we believe you will... Prove yourself to be righteous and loving and faithful and knowing and good. Therefore, we want to cheer on our hearts. Be strong. Take courage. Run to Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, folks. Hopefully, we'll see you next time, although we don't know that for sure.